The Bible reading this morning is taken from James, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of God. We continue in our series in James today. And the subject of James 3, 18, sorry, 13 to 18, that we've just heard read to us, is wisdom. The NIV gives this passage the heading, Two Kinds of Wisdom. And in this section, James contrasts godly wisdom, or as verse 17 states, the wisdom that comes from above with earthly, unspiritual, demonic Wisdom. Note the inverted commas that the author uses. In his epistle, James is calling for believers to demonstrate that their faith is real through the fruit of their lives. His goal is to see all believers reach spiritual maturity. James argues that real faith will naturally prove itself through a life that is demonstrated by an increasingly Christ-like character. And according to James, it is through wisdom that one becomes spiritually mature. Godly wisdom and spiritual maturity go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't reach spiritual maturity without true godly Wisdom, And only true wisdom produces maturity, which in turn affects every aspect of our lives, from our thought process to our outward actions to the words that we speak, as we discussed last Sunday. In these short five verses, the following questions are addressed. What is true wisdom, and where does it come from? What are the problems caused by a lack of wisdom, and what is the fruit of true wisdom? Let's explore each of these questions one by one. What is true wisdom, and where does it originate from? You might recall a few weeks ago, we addressed the difference between knowledge and wisdom. They are both interconnected and inseparable, yet they play distinctive roles. 
Let's quickly refresh our memory by comparing wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. It is something we obtain throughout our life. We obtain knowledge through various means and ways, such as reading or watching or personal experience. Studying the Bible uh, personally, participating in growth groups, uh, hearing uh, the sermon preached every week are some of the most common ways that people grow a knowledge of God, His will and His ways. Wisdom, as you will recall, has been helpfully described as knowledge applied. The highest form of wisdom is applying the knowledge we have obtained from God's Word. We accumulate all kinds of knowledge, don't we, throughout life. But the highest form of knowledge that we can obtain is the knowledge of God's Word. And then wisdom is knowing how to actually apply God's Word to all the situations we face in life. It is the God-given ability to make correct judgments and decisions based on the truth of God's Word. The difference here is that knowledge is primarily obtained through our efforts. We commit ourselves to becoming learners. We position ourselves to watch, to listen, to read, to study, to learn. And by doing so, we, we grow in our knowledge. Wisdom, on the other hand, the Scriptures tell us, true wisdom, wisdom from above, is a gift. It is given to us from God. It is developed within us by His Holy Spirit. Let me give you a really simple, but I think quite funny, illustration of the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. So where does true wisdom come from? True wisdom comes from our heavenly Father, the Scriptures say. We see in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Throughout the Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, we are reminded of where true wisdom originates from. We read in Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. We read earlier in James chapter 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Notice in 1 Corinthians 1.25 how the Apostle Paul contrasts true wisdom, the wisdom of heaven, God's wisdom, with earthly human wisdom. He says, for the foolishness of God, if there is such a thing, is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Paul says that even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. We must apply ourselves to obtain the knowledge of God through studying 
his word. Then we must seek him through prayer to develop wisdom in our lives by the inworking of his Holy Spirit. Part of the purpose of prayer is to heighten our awareness to the Spirit's presence in our lives. We might submit more and more to his will and to his ways. That's what that word submissive is referring to in this passage, submitting to the will of the Holy Spirit. We'll come to that shortly. So true wisdom is godly wisdom, and it comes from God alone. No one can boast about having godly wisdom because it is a gift from God from above. Well, what are the problems caused by a lack of wisdom? The Scriptures teach that many of the problems that are created in our personal lives, in our families, in our churches, and of course, in our world, are a direct result of a lack of godly wisdom. And unfortunately, we don't have to look very far, do we, to see the unravelling of earthly wisdom, or so-called wisdom, at play. It's tragic, isn't it? Well, James categorises the so-called earthly wisdom into two sins, and they are bitter envy and selfish ambition. Notice in verse 14 through to 16. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The two sins that James lists here are, as I mentioned, bitter envy and selfish ambition. I think the first thing to note is that these things reside in the heart. Further confirmation that life is lived from the heart. Just as our speech is a result of what is in our heart, so too our actions, the way we live, are a result, a direct result of what is in our hearts. If our hearts harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition, the outcomes are disastrous. So much so that when they exist in a person's life, they open the door to all manner of disorder and every evil practice, says James. It's important to understand the devastating effect of these two sins and how they can just unravel our lives. Let's understand them more deeply so that we can make every effort to ensure that our hearts remain pure and untainted by these things. So what is bitter envy? Well, if we look at the original Greek, it helps us gain a stronger, a more insightful understanding of what James, the author, is trying to convey with the meaning of these two words. Our word bitter comes from the Greek word pikros, which means acerid or malignant. Our word envy comes from the Greek word zealous, 
And this is an interesting word. It has a dual meaning depending on the context in which it is used. It can mean a positive. It can mean a pos- it has a positive sense, meaning zeal or eagerness. Zealous. But it can also be used in a negative context. And that's the way James uses it here in chapter 3 to mean intense jealousy or a, a bitter rivalry. So when you put these two words together in this context, it means a malignant, intense jealousy. A jealousy that has become like a cancer to the body and it will eat you alive. It will eat you up. And it is like a cancer to the soul, a cancer that blinds us to all that God wants to do in our lives. And it consumes everything that is good within us. Bitter envy taints our relationship with our Heavenly Father and it taints every earthly relationship that we ever have, as long as it remains within us. So bitter envy. The other thing that James notes is selfish ambition. First of all, let me clarify that there is a difference between godly ambition and selfish ambition. Ambition in itself is not sinful. It's a good thing. We ought to be ambitious for all kinds of things in our lives. We ought to be ambitious in the way we seek to serve God. We ought to be ambitious in the way we seek to raise our families. We ought to be ambitious to do good for others. We ought to be ambitious to be good parents and good grandparents and leave a lasting legacy for our grandchildren. This type of ambition is is not sinful. This is good. It's not selfish. It's constantly looking for the good of the other. However, this is not the type of ambition that James is referring to. Now, as we did a moment ago, let's, let's break this word down, selfish ambition, in the original Greek to get, a, again, a deeper understanding for what James means. The term selfish ambition comes from the Greek word erethea, which means to act for one's own selfish gain, regardless of the discord or strife it causes. It's all about me, regardless of what it does to you. To put it plainly, if we have selfish ambition in our heart, it means that we will place our needs and our wants above the needs of everyone else and we will not care who gets hurt in the process or who we have to use or abuse to get what we want. Do you see this kind of behaviour in the world? Absolutely. You can see it here. James is so insightful. A person with selfish ambition will stop at nothing to get what their heart desires. They will steal, cheat, lie. And selfish ambition taken to its most extreme, I think you could argue, would lead to murder even for the sake of what I want. The cure for the disease of bitter envy and self-ambition, as it is with all sin is found in repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. 
James tells us that if we have these sins in our heart, but we deny the truth and not face it head on, then we're not able to deal with these sins and they will continue to remain in our hearts. Confession and repentance lead to forgiveness. Why is it so important that we face the truth of our own sinfulness, even when it's uncomfortable? Because denial prevents us from receiving what God has for us. God's desire is to place within us hearts that are pure before him. But we can only receive that new heart, that heart of flesh, when we demonstrate that we are sinners. Uh, we spoke to the kids in Kids Zone on Friday about that well-known par- parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And God showed favour to the tax collector because he recognised that he was in need of mercy. And we are all the same. We are all in need of God's mercy. And it is only when we can come to him and confess openly our great need for him and our sinfulness that he can start to restore our hearts and place within us that new heart that he wants to give us. We read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's interesting with the kids on Friday, we were talking about this parable, right, between the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee, if you know the parable, is full of pride. And the tax collector is is full of contrition and humility. And when we read these stories, the parables, so often, I do it myself, I think to myself, I'm not the Pharisee. (laughs) Don't we do it? And I realized, I said to the kids, if we say that we're not the Pharisee, we're the Pharisee. We're doing the exact thing that the Pharisee's doing. He's saying, I'm so glad that I'm not like him. And I think for folk like you and I who come to church every Sunday, it's so easy for us to sit under the Word of God and when we hear it, we think to ourselves, I'm so glad I'm not like that. Don't we? I'm so glad my heart is not full of bitter envy and selfish ambition. And if that is what you are thinking, you're the Pharisee. I'm the Pharisee. We all harbour, to a degree, don't we, bitter envy and selfish ambition in our hearts. And it is only because of Jesus and the gospel that our hearts can be made new. Remember I spoke about that heart transplant, the divine surgeon? That's what James is just going to keep bringing us back to is the heart. What's in your heart? And if you can acknowledge that there is bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, friend, brother, sister, you need to confess, you need to repent, and you need to seek God's forgiveness. And he will welcome you with open arms and replace your heart of stone with the heart of flesh. This is true for all of us. Finally, let's consider what is the true 
What is the fruit of true wisdom? What is the outcome? We've spoken about the negative. What are the positives? We read from verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In verse 17, having previously highlighted the negative effects of bitter envy and selfish ambition, Paul offers a list of qualities resulting from godly wisdom. This list that James offers is not dissimilar to the list of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul offers in Galatians 5. There's a lot of similarities. And essentially, this is the outworking of God in our lives. When we allow God to control us and direct us. This is the fruit. And interestingly, all of these seven virtues, thanks, Em, all of these seven virtues that James lists in verse 17 are all about how we relate to God or to other people. It's about relationships. (laughs) It's about relationships relationships, I guess you could say, are the arena where earthly wisdom or godly wisdom is lived out. So let's consider how the godly wisdom affects the way we relate to God and to one another. The first word there is pure. True wisdom comes from an understanding of of God's word. We need the knowledge of God's word first. And when we have that knowledge and we understand the purity of God's word free from the philosophies and opinions of the world, we can recognize and discern God's wisdom and therefore discern what is best and apply the knowledge. That's wisdom. True wisdom produces a purity in our lives because our lives become increasingly aligned to the word and to the will of God. Peace-loving. True wisdom produces within us a love for peace, for harmony, for shalom, for wholeness. We read in Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. According to God's word, it is the will of God for all his people to be as peaceable as possible within their relationships. And Hebrews 12, 14 makes a similar case. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. As followers of Jesus, our lives are to be exemplary. They are to point to Jesus. True wisdom takes away, it removes our desire to argue and fight and be right. And the higher priority is not just to keep the peace by sweeping things under the carpet, but by being peacemakers. And that word to me is a very active word. A peacemaker is different to a peacekeeper. A peacemaker will do their best to actively maintain the relationship. Relationship takes a higher priority than having to be right. And when we have to be right, that is so often when arguments result and things escalate 
and relationships can break down. Consider it is the next word. True wisdom enables us to consider the needs of others. Other translations use the word gentleness, I think highlighting the nature of consideration. Gentleness is not weakness, but it is in fact a true sign of strength. It is strength under control. Gentleness chooses to respond towards people who hurt us or offend us with grace and humility in the same way that our loving Heavenly Father responds to us with grace and mercy and humility when we wrong Him and rebel against Him. Submissive. True wisdom recognises that God's way is always the best way and that God is worthy of our obedience. So the truly wise person learns to submit every area of their life to the Lord and to his will. Full of mercy. True wisdom understands the power of mercy and recognises that we would be hopeless and helpless without the mercy of God in our lives. Wisdom also understands the importance that God places upon us to show mercy to others. Just as mercy has been extended to you and I, so we too need to extend mercy to others. We read in Matthew 6, 14 to 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. True wisdom produces an abundance of mercy in our hearts. Isn't this painting a vision or a picture of the type of person that you want to be around? The type of friend that when you let them down or you make a mistake or you say the wrong thing, their, their, their heart response is to show mercy and love and compassion? What a beautiful picture James is painting for us of the truly wise person. Good fruits. When the Bible speaks of bearing fruit, it is speaking of the works that are being produced through a life that is lived for God. A heart that is nurtured and tended in the good soil of God's Word, a heart that remains pure and open to God, is a heart that will produce beautiful fruit that will find its way, it will manifest its way in the way we relate to God. We will have that contrite and humble heart before Him, recognising that we are sinners desperately in need of mercy. But it will also manifest itself in the way we relate to one another and to those from whom we rub shoulders within the broader community. This is a beautiful vision and a beautiful picture of a truly wise, godly person. Impartial, godly wisdom does not treat some people as more important than others. Rather, it produces a Christ-like heart within us that is free from favoritism, prejudice, racism and partiality. Such a heart looks beyond all of these things 
It looks beyond the ethnicity, the social status, the outward characteristics, and it simply reflects a heart of love for the other person because they are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity, of love and respect. Sincere. The opposite of sincerity is hypocrisy. And nothing turns people off Christianity more than than the hypocrisy they observe by people in the church. True wisdom recognises the importance of getting this right. And by that I mean our words and our deeds add up. This is what James is all about. He would hate hypocrisy in the church, saying one thing on Sunday and doing another on Monday. The spiritually mature person is consistent. They are the same in church as they are out of church. There's just this beautiful transparency wherever they are. They're the same. That's authentic. That, my friends, is sincerity. If we would all seek to live by these seven qualities of godly wisdom, personal conflicts in our lives, and indeed in our world more broadly, would be minimalised, and harmonious relationships would blossom and grow. But, unfortunately, we all battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of these forces combine to direct us and to draw us astray towards worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom causes disharmony in our relationships. As verse 18 asserts, those who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. I think a beautiful description of a harvest of righteousness could be a harvest of right relationships. How beautiful. Can you just picture a harvest of right relationships? You, as somebody who has been gifted God's wisdom by his Holy Spirit, who's had their heart transformed, who is prepared to confess and repent when there is bitter envy and selfish ambition that you notice or that you recognise. And this person walks through life and the trail that they leave behind them, the wake, if you like, that they leave behind them is a harvest of right relationships. How wonderful. How wonderful to get to the end of your days and have a harvest of right relationships as a result of being a peacemaker. Which type of wisdom are you living by? The true wisdom that comes from God or the so-called wisdom of the world, which is not wisdom at all? Are you seeking God for true wisdom and allow his wisdom to produce the good fruit in your life? Or would you have to honestly admit that your life is lacking the produce of the good fruit that God desires for us? If you are willing to be open and honest to God, to confess that you have not been living according to godly wisdom, God will forgive you. Then if you sincerely ask him to give you true wisdom, he promises in his word that he will grant it to all who ask. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Can we come together and pray? Let us pray for forgiveness 
for the bitter envy and selfish ambition that finds its way into our hearts. And let us pray that God would grant us his wisdom that we might be followers of Jesus, men and women whose lives produce the fruit that leads to a harvest of right relationships. Let's pray. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we come in humility and we come in repentance, acknowledging that all have sinned, that all fall short of the glory of God, and that includes every single person in this room. We recognise, Lord, that we all stand equal before you. But we thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And our hope rests in him and in him alone. Jesus, I pray that for every person who acknowledges that they are a sinner in need of a saviour, that you might come and redeem their hearts. Replace, Lord, the heart of stone, the heart that leans more towards bitter envy and selfish ambition. Replace that heart with that heart of flesh, that beautiful heart that is soft and open before you, a heart that you can do a transformative work in, a heart that you, by your Holy Spirit, will pour godly wisdom, and the fruit of that heart will be a harvest of right relationships through all of these beautiful qualities that we see, these characteristics of a person whose heart is soft towards you, who lives with a repentant and a confessing heart, and who is constantly seeking your wisdom and your ways through your word. God, transform us into the people, the men and women that you desire us to be, that you might build your kingdom here, that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to open your word this morning and allow it to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.